This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up. Where do I start? I'm such a massive fan. When I was a practicing lawyer, people would come to me looking for advice, support and answers. And that puts you in a power dynamic that's that's quite similar to a leadership role. Women can lead with a different kind of strength, with authenticity, kindness, compassion, and with great success. Welcome back to Leadership Letters. I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers, and, well, we've taken a little bit of a break, actually, so it's very exciting to be saying Season 2 of Leadership Letters and welcoming you back to Season 2. It was a really pretty busy work period in April and March. So that combined with the fact that here in the UK, things are opening up a bit. There was an opportunity to start to spend some time outdoors with family and friends we haven't seen in a long time. Meant it was a good time to take a bit of a break. And you'll all know I'm a great advocate of a break. So it was good to do that. And it's really good to be back for season two and sharing our first for this season great interview with the really brilliant Christina Blacklaws and later on also the usual return of Leadership Letters Lowdown where we'll be looking at our usual to read, to watch and to listen to recommendations and some other things that you can be getting on with as leaders to support yourselves and others. Our latest guest has been featured in the Lawyers Hot 100. She's been awarded the Modern Lawyer of the Year and Power Woman of the Year. She was the fifth ever female president of the Law Society for England and Wales. And since leaving office, she's been supporting businesses as an advisor and consultant and chairs two government bodies in technology and law. She's a champion of access to justice, diversity, inclusion and social mobility and has found time (laughs) to talk with us about leadership today amongst all of that. So you're very welcome to Leadership Letters, Christina Blacklaws. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Lizzie. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I'd love to get started with your first experiences of leadership, your earliest memories of being led and how they've influenced the way that you have been a leader. Perhaps one of the most formative experiences for me, I think, was in one of my first jobs. Um, and it was a negative experience. <laughs> so I think from that I learned how how not to lead because my experience of being led was that it was painful and undermining of my confidence and my self esteem, um, and and I felt was really unfair as as well. But because um, I was in a hierarchy and I had no control. I just had to stomach it. Um, and and that, that person's style of leadership was, was very aggressive, very command and control, very low on, on the compliments, uh, very high on praise, very high on the um, criticism so so I felt so one of my formative experiences of being led was um was actually really quite challenging and in terms of how that now shows up in what you avoid or take care not to do as a leader or take care to do as a leader how do those early experiences show up for you in your leadership I think it's always salutary to have been on the receiving end 
of um, painful experiences. Uh, you know, it may, it does make you stronger, and it also makes you more aware. And I think for for me, what I learned from that is how not to lead, in a sense, um, and also how damaging you can be in a leadership position. So, so the power that a leader has over other people's um, sense of well-being and sense of self actually so so that that for me was was really really important and has informed my uh, behaviors towards others whether I'm in a leadership role or, or, or not but particularly um, as as a leader and as a, a person with authority in the sense that when I was a practicing lawyer you know, people would would come to me looking for advice, support and answers. And that puts you in a power dynamic that's that's quite similar to, to a leadership role. Uh, and um, it's right from the outset, I was aware that there was always the potential to abuse that role. And, and as I say, quite the the consequences of that for for other people. So so that's been quite a guiding um, light in terms of how I've developed my leadership. And so I think what it has taught me is the importance of being compassionate and caring, recognizing and embracing difference. Actually, just because somebody is saying something that I don't agree with. Um, you know, perhaps that's as a leader, that's the time to prick up your ears and and really listen carefully to what that person is saying. So often leaders, we surround ourselves with people who agree with us. And that, you know, that's very seductive in, in a way, you know, it's very attractive to 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 be um, in, in that sort of echo chamber. But it's it it is bad for leadership and it's really important that um, you, you have people who are empowered to say what they genuinely think. I think you're sharing a really common experience of learning about leadership through what you don't enjoy. And some people are fortunate to then be led by people who create the conditions to kind of come back from that. Some people have to do that work for themselves and for some it's a combination of the two. So I'm wondering, what, what do you recall about how you built back your confidence? Well, one thing I did was move job. <laughs> I think that's really important because actually talent doesn't really want to stick around that sort of leadership uh, model and, 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 and experience. So, um, so I, think it, I think it would have been really challenging for me to have reformed myself into, a, you know, with full of drive, determination, self-belief um, in in that environment, actually. So, so I, I moved job and and I rebuilt. Um, and being in an environment which was supportive um, and empowering actually was was really fabulous for my for my confidence. Um, and I found things that I was passionate about. If you have a sense, a real sense of clarity of purpose, um, then it's so much easier to, to, to build that, 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 that confidence, that resilience, that determination um, to, to succeed. So, so I think that was, you know, that was important. And I also think 
uh, for, for me and my journey, becoming an activist was actually really, really important. So, you know, putting my head above the parapet, going outside of um, my uh, sort of professional leadership roles in, 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 into other roles, engaging in different ways with, with different stakeholders here, sharing, um, sharing ideas and really pushing for what I, I believed in. Um, I, I think that, you know, that, that, that was for, for me um, formative, empowering, uh, enabled me to do so much more in other leadership roles as well. I'm really mindful, as you've said, Talon doesn't want to stay with bad leadership. And, and you're right. And also, though, sometimes people can become quite convinced that there is nothing else out there for them, or that if they're not being valued where they are, they won't be valued somewhere else. And I'm, I'm even noticing, as you said that, and I said, yep, step one, leave. But that doesn't always feel like an option. So you're really reminding me of how as leaders, ideally, you create the conditions that people want to stay, but that they also feel free to leave. I think I think that's that's really important. Um, I, I've seen controlling leadership where anybody who leaves is seen as disloyal as you know as a, and is sort of cut out and a, a, a nobody from from then on and actually that's incredibly short-sighted you know, we in my my profession of law we're you know we're at we're a re relatively small body of people <laughs> it, it's really important to 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 make friends and to have good leavers and people who are going to be out there as your advocate and your supporter as opposed to um somebody who is is going to talk negatively about their experience and, and we're all you know, hardwired I think to, to really pick up much more on on people's negative experiences and their, than their positive experience so the impact of that is is again is, is significant so um so it's just bad leadership I think um the other thing that I've seen as a, as a sort of successful approach to trying to change the culture from within is, um, it is about supporters and advocates and collaboration. Mm -hmm. I was not the only person in that organisation that was uh, was being um, told that they were useless and <laughs> a waste of space. Um, perhaps in if we had got together and if we had shared our support and if we had asked others to be allies for us, um, we might have been able to, to get the leadership to see that you know, this wasn't working. And, and that's, you know, that's sometimes that, that, that can wake some leaders up. In my experience of you and your career is that sense of allyship and the importance of allyship and the importance of giving a voice to somebody who is perhaps finding it difficult to find theirs or or whose voice isn't being heard it sounds like something that has very much carried through your career it, it's so important and it is uh, a requirement and a privilege <laughs> yeah. privilege is is intersectional you know so so we might have different privileges and in, in in different ways we might have equally different disadvantages in, 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 in different ways. So, so there isn't a, um, a model of people who are bound to be allies and people who are bound to be the allied. I think, I think we can all 
play those roles in 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 different ways and that gives it much greater strength actually it is in a one way process um you know, we really are in it together and and certainly i have had experience of being on the receiving end of misogyny let's say and 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 it is really i think really difficult in those circumstances at that time no matter how empowered you are to to be able to respond appropriately to that but if there's someone else there who is your ally and who's a supporter and is willing to take, be courageous and say that's not all right it's a double benefit it's a it's a win win you get the challenge and you get the support and um having again having had that experience um i i'm really keen to provide that experience um to to others because um it, it it's a it's a way of really writing the world i think <laughs> I'm thinking of you, as you talk, Christina, about aspiring leaders listening to this, as well as existing leaders, people who would agree with everything that you're saying and have great intention as leaders surrounding that, and wouldn't necessarily, though, break that down into the skills, the specific skills and actions as leaders that they're going to need to cultivate and build in order to be a leader and an ally. What would you suggest that people should be paying attention to? First thing is you hit the nail on the head. It's about paying attention. Mm-hmm. It's it's about intentionality, actually. It, it, that that's really important. As leaders, I think it's an obligation to to be an intentional leader. To think carefully, um, listen actively and you know and don't open your mouth going back to how damaging words from leaders can be uh and unless you're really sure that this is the right thing to do and the right thing to say um and and if you have that that if you you have that sort of level of awareness front of mind um then i think I would hope that most leaders would make the right decisions about what what aspects of their skill set to, to bring out at, at different times because we we have um all leaders have a you know a significant toolkit uh, and they can pull out the different ones that they need for different occasions uh, and it, it is really important to try very hard to get those to ensure that you're using the right tools for the right problem um so I, I think in in that sense, um, what I have seen working is is courage to speak out as a as a as a leader as a as an ally. That is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. And then empathy and support. What if I can offer a, an, another strand? Actually, as I'm hearing you talk to what I know that that you have done, you've also worked hard to gather the data. And to know, okay, how do I back this up with the science and the facts and be able to really paint a picture of how things are and could be? So how important would you say that's been to you in combination in terms of changing things as a leader? Uh, Pivotal, I say. Um, So in in my profession, in the the law, um, lawyers don't don't move unless they have an evidential basis. (laughs) So, um, so, so uh, but I, I think actually it's, it's really important. When I work with 
businesses, I usually work with um, male leaders. And it is vitally important that the hard-nosed business case is made out for any cultural policy uh, practical changes that, that are envisaged. So actually having the um, compelling evidence, the data, the external research, which is really very important, and then the internal research, which sort of holds a mirror up to the business um, and says, you might think this, but actually this is the reality in your organisation. Does that reflect your aspirations um, is, is very, very powerful in getting um, some reluctant uh, business leaders to square one, to say, ah, yes, I recognize that um, we have a melting iceberg here. <laughs> so the, the data is vital. And um, when I was a president of the Law Society, I was fortunate enough to spearhead a program of research around women and leadership in law. And that was a, the largest ever global research that had been undertaken in that area. And I was absolutely convinced that we needed to have that research nexus, that, that to be data driven in, in the work that we did. Um, otherwise, you are always vulnerable to, to attack, say, well, you would say that anyway, or um, you, you, just to undermine everything that you are trying to achieve without having that foundation there that you can point back to and say, ah, it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, and that as people come with you, they can point to that resource and research too. Exactly. So speaking of female leaders as we just were I think it's a female leader that you have written your leadership letter to it, it, it is it is it's somebody um who I greatly admire I'm an enormous fan of hers um and and that's um Jacinda Ardern the uh Prime Minister of New Zealand well we'd love to hear it dear Jacinda where do I start? I'm such a massive fan. You're so important to me as a fellow Kiwi. And although I live in the UK and have done so for most of my life, I hold New Zealand very close to my heart. And it's the only country of which I am a citizen. But you're also important as a woman and specifically a female leader. Women in leadership gender equality has been such a driving issue in my life. It's something I'm absolutely passionate about. And I couldn't agree with you more when you said in 2018 that all the things left to achieve in gender equality are at the top of my list. And you're accustomed to breaking glass ceilings as only the third female prime minister of New Zealand, the youngest one, and only the second head of global government to give birth whilst in office. But you've been so much more than this. What you have so beautifully shown the world is that women can lead with a different kind of strength, with authenticity, kindness, compassion, and with great success. You've shown that not only are you deeply empathetic, but that you have nerves of steel and can lead in times of chaos and tragedy. 
Sadly, tragic incidents have come in quick succession over your short time as New Zealand's PM. In March 2019, New Zealand, for the first time in its modern history, witnessed a dreadful terrorist attack on the Muslim community in which 51 people lost their lives. They are us, you said of the victims. New Zealand has been chosen because it was safe, because it was no place for hatred or racism, because we represent diversity, kindness, compassion, home for those who share our values, refuge for those who need it. Then, addressing the shooter, you said, you may have chosen us, but we utterly reject and condemn you. Your next move? You immediately implemented tighter gun laws across the nation. Just before the COVID-19 outbreak, you had to deal with a volcano eruption which killed 16 people in December 2019. Your response was, as per, guided by empathy. Paying tribute to those who died, you said, many people did extraordinary things to save lives. Those who have been lost are now forever linked to New Zealand and we will hold them close. Two months later, you're faced with another challenge destined to make or break world leaders, the coronavirus pandemic. As politicians hectored and lectured their nations on at times chaotic COVID-19 plans of attack, you did the opposite. Your direct decision-making and openness objectively positioned the nation better off than much of the globe. Each loss is a tragedy but there have only been 26 reported deaths from coronavirus in New Zealand. The world rightly applauded your clear, speedy and effective approach. For me, your warmth and empathy, the spirit of togetherness that you fostered in the country was a million miles from the aggressive and ruthless posturing from many other world leaders. You've evidenced that your approach works. And that makes me really excited and hopeful for our world. So let me summarize what I love about your leadership style. You're a team player creating solidarity, famously saying that for true progression for all, me too must become we too. You are utterly consistent. You walk the talk with humility, vulnerability and such warmth. You are one of us. We believe you and in you. We trust you will act fairly, proportionately and swiftly, always putting the interests of others first. I could go on and on, but I'm going to finish with your own words again, as I think you summarise the leadership skills I most admire best. You can be both empathetic and strong. Thank you, Jacinda, for all that you're doing and for the amazing world model you have become. I just wish we could clone you. Thank you. Gosh, I wish that too. <laughs> it's so moving, isn't it, to hear you summarise the work that she has done, not just in New Zealand, but it's the fact that you can be a strong, decisive, impactful leader and have nerves of steel, have compassion 
and kindness and empathy. And I love in what you've said, how there is permission for everyone, whoever they are, to lead with that combination of factors. And I think there is still enormous work for us to do (laughs) to create the conditions and the trust and the belief that those those skills that we sometimes see as soft Mm. or possibly even weak (laughs) are actually leadership skills of strength. What would you love to see and hear people doing in any and every organisation at any and every level that would start to create more understanding that though all of those qualities go hand in hand and make for great leadership? Yeah, maybe I can talk about the research actually, because there's some we were looking. The problem was that uh, although women are the majority of of the legal profession, there there's, there was only about thirty percent of women in in, in leadership positions. Um, and the basically the reason was is about systemic bias so it is it relates just not not just to women but to um any protected characteristic um and you know what i think leaders in in business or in in any situation need to do and i am being quite directive here is is to address that systemic bias um, at, you know, that, that's absolutely vital uh, to ensure that there is um, equity so that everybody has what they need to be able to achieve uh, and succeed um, in, in an organisation. Uh, and I think that leaders who are able to action that and be inspirational around that and accountable that's really really important for the shifting of the needle in in their organizations um they are the ones who I, i firmly believe will have really successful businesses entities organizations institutions whatever 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 environment you're you're in uh, because they will have ensured that everybody there is achieving their potential this is this is how we met you gave a really wonderful TEDx talk about systemic bias and also it being hardwired and hearing what leaders can be paying attention to if they are already in positions of leadership what do our aspiring leaders need to be paying attention to? What do our young people need to be paying attention to? The first thing I'd say is I'd point to the you know amazing young leaders that that we have globally that we see. You know, Malala Yousafzai, uh, Greta Thunberg, uh, and, and many, many others who have taken leadership. <laughs> you know, they, they, they have no platform really um, apart from that they have that inner strength and that passion and determination to make positive change happen so I think it's a really exciting time for for young people certainly um, in 
even in my profession, which is very traditional, very hierarchical in nature, that that has been and is actively being um, unpicked. The legal profession is much flatter now. There is real opportunity for more junior people to have a really powerful voice in, in organizations and everybody has the opportunity to lead at every level and in, in, in every way. Um, and, and it is understanding that I think is, is really important. There's a wonderful quote from uh, that brilliant author Alice Walker and I'm going to misquote it now but she says she says something along the lines that the the most common way that we give away our our power is by not recognizing that we have it. And um, and I, I think that's that that for me is something really insightful for um, for younger people. When I was in that position 30 years ago, so you know a lifetime ago, it, I think I think the world was a very different place. Um, I think now that um, that more junior people are and should feel much more empowered to, to make the changes and um, to engage with that senior leadership and to tell them a few home truths actually <laughs> um, and and you know, and then hopefully collaborate and that's when it becomes really exciting you know, where where it's um, interdisciplinary it's uh, intergenerational um, you know where we're all working for the same shared goals uh, you know that that's when the magic happens I think and then act yes <laughs> so often the, those good ideas get uh, get left on the policy pages uh, and and actually you know implementation is is really really important when it comes to uh, any leadership because there isn't one way of doing this um, successful, doing of, of any sort of successful project. There isn't one way of being a successful leader. Um, but I, I think, you know, there are some ingredients that are common. It's a bit like the sort of eggs and flowers and it's like, or you know, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. So, you know, we always joke that every, um, every recipe always starts with chop an onion. <laughs> <laughs> It's you know there there are some things that that uh, you know are sort of fundamental, but apart from that, there's a million different ways of being successful. I wonder if I can ask you before we close. Um, one of the things we do in leadership letters is to ask for a recommendation of something either to read or to watch or to listen to. What is top of mind for me, and um, and um, what I've been. Um, reading recently is a collection of Maya Angelou poetry and I think what she encapsulates in her poems which are incredibly accessible you know it, they're, they're just sort of leap off the page at you um, is there's, a, there's an enormous amount of wisdom about how we should treat each other and about just you know, having that sort of confidence and sense of self and and being all right in the world and therefore everything opens up therefore you know 
there is all op- op- opportunity before you. So, so I find um, I find her work really, really inspiring. And uh, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of self help guides out there, but but actually, <laughs> something that lifts the spirit uh, and that can do that in five minutes, I think for me is a, is a winner. Absolutely. Well, we will turn our attention to her words. Thank you, Christina. Honestly, it has been such a joy and a pleasure to talk leadership with you. Thank you very much for coming. Oh, it's been lovely, Lizzie. Thank you again for the for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. So absolutely love talking to Christina. And one of those things that we talked about was, as you heard, the importance of truly paying attention and listening carefully. And listening, I always think, is one of those leadership skills that because the majority of us can listen using our hearing, we just do it. And we forget that really, truly attentive listening is a skill. And it's a skill that requires maintenance and a skill that can always be improved. So a couple of reminders around your listening. Firstly, something you hear me say a lot, breathe out. Controlling that out breath will help you manage your state and support you in tuning into what the other person is saying so that you truly are listening rather than waiting to speak. Then you can start to work with your listening skills in some other ways. So another way is to listen in order to repeat back. So choosing to focus intently enough on what you're hearing that you'd be able to repeat it back. So when you listen to repeat or summarise, it means you're requesting something of yourself that will automatically increase your focus. So it's a really useful way back in if you're getting distracted or your mind is wandering. And a third thing to work on in terms of your listening is to listen for what's not being said. So listening closely enough to hear themes, subtexts, hints, feelings... Susan Scott has this wonderful summary. She says, we may succeed in hearing every word, yet miss the message altogether. And there's a reminder here that you can use this or any podcast for practice. So for a minute or two or five, choose to move from passive listening to active listening. So listening with that intention to repeat or listening for subtext, listening for the things that aren't said Listen for what you think we might be thinking during the pauses or listen to formulate questions that further your understanding of what you're hearing. We can dip in and out of practice whenever we are listening to something and that can mean that it's much more readily available to us when we need it. So one of the things that's been keeping me busy is a master's course I'm currently working towards. It's focused on positive psychology and its relationship to coaching and reflection has always been a recommendation I make to leaders in terms of their work and I've been challenged to reflect a lot on this course and one of the things I've been reflecting on is my process of reflection itself and it got me thinking about you and this podcast and I wanted to share with you a tendency I've realized in myself that I tend to do more thought-based reflection than reflexive work where I'm putting things quite quickly into practice So I've been working on this and noticing that whilst I do want to keep thinking and being really careful about what I choose to put into practice, there are some ways I could perhaps be quicker to try things out a little bit sooner. And for me, the role of accountability has been crucial in that. So three ways I've been thinking about holding myself to account 
are firstly group accountability. So either starting or joining a group. Secondly, having a partner for accountability. So working with my colleagues, my friends to make some commitments, set some deadlines with each other, do some reviewing of what it is we've been trying out. And the third is investing in accountability. So this is where I've been recognising a need to invest in some expertise to boost my motivation to try something out or to return to something. So exercise is the key example for me of that at the moment. Um, So as groups start to become a thing, again, as, as restrictions open up here in the UK, I'm thinking about a group activity that will increase my accountability and my motivation And I'm also looking to invest in some personal training to help re-establish some habits that, if I'm honest, have waned a little, to say the least. So I'm curious which of these might help you in terms of motivation you might need if it's lacking a little. And all this links to my first to read recommendation this month. So there's an article that's gained a huge amount of traction online since we last uh, spoke in this form. Um, And I think it's gained so much traction because it gave voice to what so many people were feeling. It's an article about the psychological phenomenon of languishing that was published in The New York Times. I've shared it with a number of you already uh, if we're if we're working together at the moment. And it's enabled us to have some great conversations in which you've been naming how you've been feeling. And so have I. And as a result, taking some ways of looking at steps you can take to relieve that sense of languishing, of being a bit stuck in a place which is not um, mentally unhealthy, but isn't fully mentally healthy either. So the two main things I've been thinking about as a result of this are the firstly at journaling some emotions. So one of the things this article reminds us of is how useful naming emotions can be all of them. And remembering that it's not about good or bad, it's about curiosity and the worthwhile work of naming our emotions and being specific about what they are. Those of you who know of our work on Endings for Beginnings, the work I've done with my wonderful colleague Alison Lucas, looking at better beginnings in organisations by paying attention to endings, emotions is a whole pillar of that work. And there are some great resources out there to support us in widening our vocabulary of emotions in order to support this kind of work. So Dr. Gloria Wilcox's Feelings Wheel that was first published in 1982 has again been widely shared recently as people are paying more and more attention to how they are feeling in order to do something useful with it. So a really simple exercise on this. Take a little time at the end of each day or week and use that emotions wheel, and I'll pop a link in the notes, to jot down the emotions you have felt by name. And as a starting point, to be as simple as that, just naming those emotions without any extra additional information, a list. And it's that simplicity of the list that can really help us to approach this work with the curiosity, the curiosity rather than the judgment, by not labelling things either on paper or in our heads as good or bad, just how I felt today. And the more nuance of emotion we're aware of in ourselves, the more we'll be aware of it, alert to it and respectful of it in others. And all of us are so much more than how we feel in any given moment. And yet we often reduce ourselves or others to a broad brushstroke based on the feelings we associate with a certain behaviour or a certain moment in time. 
So this is really interesting and useful work to go towards both for ourselves and our working relationships. And a gentle reminder that if an exercise like that brings up something that you instinctively think you need more support with or at the very least need to talk about, please do listen to that instinct and seek some support. So the other thing that this article has um, brought up for me is thinking about focus time and manageable challenges. All connects back, as we said earlier, to motivation. Um, I shared something about this back in a leadership letter I wrote in November. So I'm going to pop a link in the notes to that. And it's essentially about shorter chunks of time and manageable challenges within that time so that we're increasing the likelihood that we get some motivation from a sense of accomplishment when we give ourselves an alternative from either the to-do list or looking a long way ahead into the future. So next, it's our to-watch recommendation. So storytelling has always been a huge part of my life and my work. I was an avid reader, still am. Um, I taught drama and English via a literature degree, So working with leaders and teams on how they identify, tell and share their stories is a real joy in the work that I now do. And those stories boost connection, they boost energy, people use them to bring other people with them. These stories are everywhere and this first part of this year there's been a lot of work on storytelling and it's been really great to be immersing myself in so much of that. And a talk I've shared multiple times through that work this year has a really powerful reminder in it. Data doesn't change our behaviour, emotions do. So highly recommend watching this TED Talk by Karen Eber. It's called How Your Brain Responds to Stories and Why They Are Crucial for Leaders. And next then is my to listen to recommendation. And it's very much connected to the to watch, actually, because um, it's all about stories. And... Storytelling, like anything, is something that the more we pay attention to it, the better we can get at doing it. It's another one of those leadership myths, I think. that It's one of those things you're either good at or you're not. And the fact is, you can work on it. So The Moth is a podcast that is full of incredible stories. And I really recommend it. You might get some ideas about how to tell your stories. You might get inspired You might use it to work on your listening in the way that we talked about previously. You might develop some new perspectives. You might find some joy. You might empathise deeply with what you hear or hear yourself in something. Or you might just plain lose yourself in some stories. It's wonderful. Highly recommended. So that's it for this episode of Leadership Letters. Please do email me at hello at thecausewaycoaching.com to share any of your thoughts about what you've heard or to recommend somebody that you'd like to hear from on Leadership Letters. We'd love to get more recommendations from you about that. Please do follow the podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon and Spotify or forward it to somebody that you think might be interested in the things that we are discussing and sharing here. You can find links to contacting me, to this podcast and to all sorts of other leadership resources by heading to thecausewaycoaching.com. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection of all things leadership. See you soon.